This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm the host of Energy Matter. With me, as always, my co-host, Casey Boyce from Decatur. Casey, how's it going? Hey, good morning, Tim. It's good. Hey, are you still surviving over there, you and your family, amidst all of the, the COVID? We, we're doing all right. You know, it's nice that the weather has turned and we've been able to send the kids outside rather than uh, you know, keeping them cooped up inside. How about how about you guys? Yeah, you know, I, none of none of my crew that we know of have ha, has contracted COVID yet, and I'm I'm hoping we don't. But with all the people that are, I'm just wondering if it's just a matter of time before uh, before I before I catch this. So I'm being very careful, and I hope that I do not catch it. And I, I'm hearing that it's, we're just going to continue to kind of live this way, Casey, the Zoom life for the indefinite future. Yeah. Well, I'll certainly keep my fingers crossed for you. And, uh, you know, I know certainly for politicians, it's hard not to go and, you know, be with other people. So do be safe out there, Tim. Yeah, thanks. Well, we've got a great guest today, Juliet Shavit. Juliet, did I say that right? You did. And we're so excited to have you on today. We talk a lot about saving money and helping consumers save money. Uh, we uh, Casey worked with utilities around the country, so we also talk a lot about utility marketing and how utilities market programs that help customers save money. Tell us a little bit about your work and what you're doing with Smart Mark. Sure. For about ten years, we've been um, pretty pretty big advocates in the industry for consumer education around um, utility technology investments. It started with AMI when, as you know, um, early on utilities faced a lot of backlash around meter deployments. And, and so, Juliet, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just for our listeners, um, can, yeah. can you explain very briefly what AMI is? Sure. I apologize. Yes. Um, in my world, we, we use that acronym quite a bit. Um, about a little over 10 years ago, time is going fast, maybe it's around 13 years ago, the first utilities were rolling out smart meters, um, digital two-way meters um, at customer premises, which... Um, was a real game changer in the industry. Um, This two-way meter allowed for um, unprecedented communication between the customer and the utility. Um, At first, the utilities looked at this as just a way of uh, getting more accurate billing. And they really looked at this as an operational investment from the utility side. Uh, They were able to um, uh, save increase some efficiencies with their meter readers, and they were able to just streamline opera, you know, operations and billing in ways that they hadn't thought of before. What they hadn't thought of really was that this was a new wireless network that they were building, which would eventually become the platform for all kinds of applications that would be rolled out to customers. So at the time, there was some resistance uh, from the customers. And um, once the utilities were able to successfully articulate the benefits of this technology to customers and what customers were to gain, um, this became a real game changer. And this is an area that I've been involved in for over a decade. Juliet, we had a number of customers, not that many, I'd say six or 700 out of 2.4 million that had some concern about those meters. And I urged the utility to handle them with kid gloves, to work with them uh, you know, as carefully as, as they could. And eventually, I was able to get an opt-out at customer expense. So a customer could pay nineteen ninety five and opt out. In this year's rate case, I actually had that reduced by, I think, uh, a dollar, uh, just as a, a gesture to those customers. And we wound up with about 300 and some odd customers who paid the opt-out fee to be opted out of those AMI meters. But uh, the meters have been a great success story here in improving reliability, allowing us to do some things that we weren't able to do before, even even with 
even with solar, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you mentioned reliability. There are a number of utilities across the country that have seen um, the ability to restore power quickly after you know terrible weather conditions, tornadoes, hurricanes, um, to uh, to allow customers to get online faster. Uh, it's 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 really um, amazing the types of benefits we've seen both on an economic and a social level for many customers. So Juliet, the report that you just released was on the smart home. And so for people who yes. aren't kind of utility industry professionals, there's this this kind of framework that many utilities use behind the meter or in front of the meter, right? And so, you know, all of the smart grid stuff and smart meters and things like that, that is in front of the meter. It's stuff that the utility controls and they don't necessarily see what's going on inside the home, even though, as we've talked about on the show, there might be some really cool things happening related to energy in the home, whether it's, you know, smart thermostats or an EV that's charging or a solar system that's producing. So how does smart home fit into all of this? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. That's exactly, you you nailed it. So, you know, our industry is notorious for thinking about um, grid modernization investment and energy reduction in terms of poles and transmission lines and physical infrastructure outside the home. That's, that's the way general utilities think. I had mentioned that originally AMI benefits were operational uh, you know, for utilities. But um, our, our industry has not really fully come to the acceptance that utilities play a key, uh, sorry, that customers play a key role in energy reduction. And there's a bit of a yin and yang going on between outside the home and inside the home. So if you ask people at the DOE and at the, um, at the utility, when they paint a picture of smart grid and grid mod, you won't see houses and people in those pictures. You'll see buildings and, and poles and EV chargers and solar panels. So, Juliet, we started this conversation talking about the AMI meter, and we quickly kind of defined that for our listeners out there, what that was. What role did you play in those early days in helping to roll out that technology? I worked with some utilities on the East Coast uh, on their customer education plans and speaking with regulators about what sort of requirements were necessary to um, engage consumers and educate consumers in the AMI deployments. Um, on the East Coast, uh, we actually saw a case where some regulators started to mandate customer education plans with the business case for AMI. So this became a very important um, topic, so much so that it was what was going to be the um, it was going to be the deciding factor for approval for util- for meter deployments in some cases. And then I worked with U.S. Department of Energy on the establishment of a working group, an AMI customer education working group, where we brought together all industry stakeholders and uh, utilities across the country to talk about best practices in educating consumers. So I very early on was involved in helping define the requirements for customer education for AMI. So Casey, let's back up uh, because she's she went to NYU uh, undergrad and got a master's, studied English. So I, what I want to know, Juliet, is how in the world did you, I guess, <laughs> do what I did? I was an English major as well. Uh, how did you go from English to caring about the grid and technology? That is a really good question and a really good story, I think, um, that tells that you probably can relate to. So I have a lot of engineers in my life. My father is an engineer. My sister is an engineer. My husband is an engineer. Um, so uh, I spent a lot of time trying to uh, prove to people that um, there was a role for communications. And when I was very young, I moved to Israel um, right around the time uh, cell phones were being deployed and voice over the Internet was being established. And um, I was hired as a an editor for a telecom company that had to explain what the benefits of wireless communications was. Um, and uh, the engineers could not do it. They didn't know how to speak in a language that people could understand. So marketing was a real problem for them. So early on, I became a um, marketing professional at a network communications company that was rolling out wireless. Uh, when I got back to the States, um, I became, I was heavily recruited to help become the communicator for a lot of startups that were in technology, particularly those with um, network communications and wireless communications types of products. 
And then honestly, when uh, I had a friend who was at the utility and when the utility was looking to explain the benefits of smart meters, the the consultant that was there said there's only one girl that I could think of who could probably make sense <laughs> of this technology to a consumer. And um, he pulled me into the utility and uh, we, we talked about um, how to convey this technology to journalists originally, right? Because we wanted to get some good media around, uh, around smart meters, but eventually how we were gonna communicate this to consumers. So you could say that my area of expertise is helping take complex technologies and um, articulating them in a way that people can understand. Casey, I think Georgia Power needs to hire her to explain <laughs> to our 2.5 million customers about community solar and the benefits of community solar because we haven't been able to to get people to you know to sign up and be a part and i really think it's a marketing messaging issue when when we come back i want to talk more juliet about how israel is the startup nation and how is so many technologies originate in israel yeah they get marketed everywhere else in the world but they start there not everything but a lot i want to talk about all of that solar thermal that i saw in israel uh the white tanks and the black tanks on the different houses and uh, and just uh, what an incredible money-saving uh, opportunity that is. And, of course, we'll talk more about marketing. So, hey, stick around. We'll be back with Juliet and Casey, and we're going to talk more about technology and its important role in energy these days. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make. Like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AmLaw 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey Boyce. I'm your co-host here today with your host, Tim Eccles and Juliet Chavit from SmartMark Communications. And Juliet, you were talking before the break about how you as an English major got into this very, you know, technology heavy kind of industry. And it reminds me a lot of, of something that I, you know, tell clients all the time. I said, you know, you don't want to put your marketing people in charge of running your nuclear plants. Don't put your engineers in charge of your marketing. <laughs> so a great, great story. And, you know, Tim, Tim teed this up before the break. Um, you know, you've had some experience uh, traveling in Israel and seeing what they're doing over there and a lot of the innovations. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of what you've seen over there and the discussions that you've you've been a part of as it relates to energy and innovation. Sure. It goes back some time, you know, I'm, I've had my company for about 21 years. And before I started my company, freshly after I graduated um, college, really, I went to Israel in terms of looking for a job, ended up um, at a, a company called Rad Data Communications, which builds um, telecom network routers and devices and, um, and communications networks for the telco industry. So 
I had to learn really fast um, what what type of what those acronyms stood for. You know, things that I never would have been exposed to had I been in the states. Things I never would have been exposed to if I would have stayed in my life. I should mention I used to work at the New Yorker magazine, so I was like a writer and a poet. I never thought I would end up in a world of of acronyms around network communications. That it's the last place I thought. Um, but you know, I I was, and then from RAD, I actually ended up taking a job at uh, the university called the Technion, which is uh, the uh, the basically the MIT of Israel. It's the technology engineering school in Israel. So I had an opportunity there for the first time to go around. My job was to go around and interview all of the innovative types of work that the university was doing. And they had an incubator there in, um, in Haifa called Matam, which had a lot of startups at the time that were being, they were a hybrid in, um, investments by university graduates and uh, and uh, local professionals with some investor money. And there was incredible work coming out. So I was first exposed to voice over the internet way back then. And so by the time I got back to the States, I was pretty well versed in what the future looked like. When I was living in Israel, everybody had a cell phone uh, on the bus. You know, everybody was, um, you know, everybody was living in this very accelerated uh, high-tech world. And, and honestly, when I came back to the States, we nobody had a cell phone. So I felt pretty smart <laughs> when I came back here. And I felt like I could see the future. And just, you know, two years later, that's exactly what happened in the States. Uh, so yeah, there was some, there was a really accelerated pace for innovation when I was there. And there continues to be. So today, um, there are some tremendous companies doing work in AI and machine learning in the energy space, really taking this predictive data, this, this data analytics we have from the, from AMI and from the, um, all these investments that the utilities made and taking this and learning from behavior and developing um, behavioral algorithms to predict energy use. And, and forecasts, which is tremendously valuable and very exciting in the energy space. Casey, I wish we could do a whole show on everything that I learned about Israel when I was over there, because it, uh, it was an incredible time for me in 2011, going over there with the American Jewish Committee as, uh, as a guest with a delegation of elected officials here in Georgia. And, of course, me being on the Public Service Commission you know, interested in electric cars. We went out to Better Place, which was, uh, which was still in existence at the time. You know, and Better Place had the whole idea that you would you wouldn't charge a battery; you would just swap it out, uh, almost like you do a propane grill when you're replacing your propane on your gas grill in your backyard. We went over to see a lot of solar thermal. It seemed like every house, Juliet, had solar thermal on it, uh, and that included including the hot water tank itself up on top of the roof so they got the passive solar into the tank and then they had just one or two thermal panels uh, on the roof uh, with the glycol in it that uh, you know that heated the water up so it it was it wasn't the prettiest way to do it certainly because most neighborhood associations in the U.S. probably wouldn't let you put a hot water tank you know on top of your home but it was the most efficient way to do it and one of the things you know that you know that I learned over there is just the the tremendous value of efficiency and thinking efficient uh, and and uh, did did you see that with a lot of people that you work with that they were always looking for that most efficient way to accomplish a task, whether it be in telecommunication or in, or any other type of energy-related matter? Yeah. Um, I think that there's a couple of factors. I think that uh, there's a really heavy emphasis for people who go into technology and into energy. Um, I would say that a lot of them are not English majors, but perhaps, you know, like me. Many of them have been strongly trained at the engineering schools, have very strong um very strong efficiency models for how they study and how they how they apply themselves. But I think Israel as a whole has had to become resilient and independent in many ways. 
Um, certainly, uh, a lot of the country is made, was originally desert and swamp, right? They had to be innovative in how they uh, utilize water treatments um, and for, for agriculture, right? To be able to grow and to survive in such hot, hot climates. Um, there are a lot of uh, issues around uh, infrastructure development related to the climate and the geography, which had to make them be res um, resourceful in terms of uh, putting in these solar panel, solar, uh, they call them dudes, dude shemesh in Israel, uh, the, uh, the switches for the, for the hot water heaters in the homes. It's also a cost effective way, right, for, for issue, people who have um, economic challenges for uh, paying for hot water. So there are a lot of like socioeconomic, um, cultural types of uh, factors, I think, that have really put a necessity for Israelis to develop solutions quickly and independently. Not, you know, they're, they're not at a time, this is wonderful times in history where there's a lot of peace in the region, uh, unprecedented peace in the region, but there wasn't always. So um, they had to find ways to be able to develop and um, and develop things on their own without really bringing them into the country. Wow. So, um, you know, I, yeah. I think about drip irrigation being invented uh, in Israel. And I, I do recommend to our listening audience, just, you know, just go to Amazon and, and buy the book Startup Nation. And you'll, you know, you'll learn as I did, because it was a prerequisite reading before our delegation went over. You'll learn what I did that, wow, so much of the guts of things that we have, it was made in Israel. It was invented in Israel, perfected in Israel, and then marketed elsewhere. So I think you you would be stunned how much of the technology that you use throughout your home and your automobile was was created in Israel. Casey, let's let's jump back over to the smart home because we started with smart meters. And smart homes are going to be a whole lot more than just the meter. The meter, obviously, making it all happen, kind of the backbone. But let's go back to some of the things Juliet's working on now. Yeah, so I'm curious, you know, we, we talk about, you know, home technology. But, Juliet, when you think about, you know, sort of the technology that you work with utilities on and what's being communicated to customers, like, what is smart home? Can you describe sort of what that means? Sure. Smart today has really come to mean wireless in many ways. And even if you take it one step further, everything controlled by your by your cell phone or your smartphone. So when we're talking about a smart home, we generally talk about devices within the, within the home that you have access to from a device that have a wireless connection or a Z-Wave or a Zigbee network-based connection where a customer can control and have... Um, you know, can be able to uh, touch things on demand. That Now, what's interesting about smart home also means that you can control these things not necessarily when you're at home. So if you were in a rush uh, to, to leave for work and, you know, forgot to shut off all the lights in your house or um, had left something on, to be able to do that now from your phone when you're not at home is uh, is really the one of the tremendous benefits of, of smart. You know, and one of the things I think that's really interesting is when you think about why would a utility be interested in smart home, this seems like a pretty um, crowded commercial space. Everyone from Google and uh, Apple are, are involved in the space. You know, why, why would a utility get involved? Um, that, and we think about what we do know in the utilities industry in terms of investing in smart meters to tie them together, originally the benefit for smart readers was seeing energy use. Um, and this, the next part of that was all this uh, behavioral communication to customers. Could we educate people about how they're using energy and then teach them to reduce their energy use? So if you think about smart home, you're now just giving them the tools to, to do what you've been teaching them all along. So it's interesting. You mentioned a couple of the different communications protocols, Zigbee, Z-Wave, you know, some are on Wi-Fi, some are on Bluetooth. And, you know, I've played around with some smart home technology in, in my house, and it's hard to get all of this stuff to talk to each other and like get it all on one system. And, you know, when I talk to utilities, and I, I'm interested in getting your thoughts on this, one of the things that I tell them, I think an opportunity for utilities is around system integrator of smart homes. So they're not going to be able to do the user experience as well as an Apple or a Google can, right? But they're really good at engineering and they're really good at making stuff work together. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Hold it. Hold, hold, hold it, Julia. Hold it, Casey. 
Uh, we're going to have to bring her back, Casey, because this All this right. explanation is going to take more than 10 seconds. So, oh, no. Yeah. So <laughs> when we come back, Juliet's going to explain the dilemma uh, of the communication of all these devices and where we're going in the future and the proprietary nature of some of this and the concern that manufacturers have around this. So we're going to dive back uh, into this. Stick around, and we're going to be back with Juliet and Casey and keep this conversation going about Smart Home. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey Boyce, your co-host along today with Tim Eccles and Juliet Chavit, our guest from SmartMark Communications. And Tim stopped us because we were running out of time. So we're going to come back in to talk about smart home here. And I was just asking Juliet before the break, you know, when I think about smart home, you know, one of the things that is is challenging for a non-technical person is to get all of the different smart home gadgets to talk to each other. And was curious, Juliet, your take on the role of a utility as an integrator to make, make a system that just functions, right? Um, which seems to me to fit very much into their skill of engineering versus, you know, an Apple or a Google that does really well with the user interface. So, so we've got more time. We're at the start of the segment. Your thoughts on that? Sure. Um, you know, utilities and integrator. I think that that is a really interesting um, idea. Uh, I think that, you know, utilities are trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. There's a lot of talk about utility of the future and where do we want to go? How much past the meter do we want to go? And um, I think if utilities focus on energy reduction, right, and the benefits of smart home and energy reduction, and not just things like security, because there's a lot of benefits of smart home, not just energy reduction, right? People, I think alarm.com has a a big practice mm-hmm. in smart home, Vivin, you know, yeah. obviously um, Apple Music's getting really interested in smart home. There's a lot of different um, business models at play with smart home. But we think about smart home utilities, utilities have an obligation to help their customers reduce energy use, manage energy use, find sustainable ways of, of, of um, reducing energy. And smart home is an important way. So when you talk about as an integrator, I think the idea also as an educator, Right. So the utility to come in and educate consumers about how smart home can help. But I think you're right. I'm involved in a pilot right now um, in the Maryland area where a utility is giving smart home technologies to customers. This is at BG&E in Annapolis, Maryland. We call it the Connected Home and Small Business Demonstration. They are offering 200 customers technology. They are they are installing it, to your point. They're installing it for them, making it as easy as possible. And we have told these customers that we want their feedback. What are the devices that they use? What are the devices, what are their preferences? And then we're actually comparing the results with their AMI data to see if there are energy reductions from this technology. So here the utility is acting as the integrator, as the educator, um, as the primary go-to 
for smart home. And we asked customers, uh, we asked our customers actually just recently in a survey, would they have used smart home if not for, for the utility? And the majority said no. But we're also getting tremendous positive feedback on how smart home is helping them moving forward. So it's an interesting dynamic around the utility and smart home. You know, I'm excited to hear that this is being experimented with because I really think folks, one, trust their utility, uh, especially here in Georgia. And given the dilemma that Casey outlined with a lot of these devices that you might buy off the shelf or off the internet, you don't know if they're going to be compatible with your other stuff. So if the utility had uh, its list of compatible devices and they've got their installers that know how to do it, it's kind of like when the cable guy comes into my house that I've just bought and they they mount my TV for me, right? They mount it. Uh, and they connect it and they get everything hooked up and they make it very turnkey. And I think consumers love that. Uh, so, Juliet, I'm, you know, I'm pumped about this and I'm wondering what we're going to need to do to get our utilities in Georgia more engaged with making smart homes and turning homes into a smarter home because there certainly is an opportunity for them to make some money on this because I think people will pay for this if the technology works. Yeah, I think people will pay for it. Um, there's a working group within Energy Star right now, the Smart Home Energy Management Group, that is focused in the future if we look at models for incentives and rebates, particularly for low-income customers on some of this technology. I think that's also a way to help subsidize this moving forward. We are definitely seeing a lot of support for the work that we're doing in Maryland. Um, the community, I should also say that this smart home started as part of a smart city project. We basically made the case that you're deploying all this external infrastructure and making the community smart. What are you doing to make people smart? You got to invest in your people as well as your infrastructure outside. This is the future. And uh, it's important that the utility help lead the way and that they put their customers first in their investments. So Juliet, you mentioned earlier the idea of saving money, right? So, we, you know, smart home, you know, smart thermostat or whatever we've talked about on the show can save people energy. You talked about security, but your survey that you did recently found those weren't the primary reasons that people were interested in in smart homes. And and I found the the number one thing kind of surprising. So I, I won't steal your thunder. What what was the number one thing that interested people in smart home technology? I'm glad you asked. It is the cool factor. And I am one of the Lone Rangers, and I think that Tim is with me, that thinks that the future of energy is super cool. I will say I brought two utilities to the Grammys in January. And Alicia Keys opened up the Grammys and said she could feel the energy in the room. We talk about the future of utility and we talk about smart home. We're talking about behavioral incentives. What's going to incentivize people to um, to reduce their energy use? Maybe it's not $1.25 a KWH. Maybe it's the next Beyonce song, mm -hmm. right? Utilities have to rethink how they're ma marketing themselves. We've seen the energy retailers do this for sure. Matthew McConaughey appears in, I think, NRG's commercials, why can't utilities listen to their customers, talk to their customers about what's cool, engage in new strategic partnerships with cool companies. Why can't utilities be cool? I mean, you started to talk about it here, but this is one of the things that I was really interested to get your perspective on because you, know, you think about, you know, customer benefits, right? Um, and so, you know, saving money is a benefit. Looking cool to other people, certainly a benefit, right? Like that social thing. But like, how, how do you actually market cool like how do you take something like smart home like these devices and and tie that in with cool yeah i mean i think we could only look at um at the amazon alexa to see it i think it was taylor swift who was in their recent ads for the amazon alexa um certainly google and um and apple and amazon they're not those are companies that not have, have known that cool plays an important part in marketing. We think about Apple and Apple Music and the role that it played in selling their devices, right? The music sold the devices ultimately at one point. There is definitely a definition between cool and, and marketability. Um, the other thing is that I love to tell this story that I brought home a light bulb for my daughter. She's She was 16. I handed her a light bulb and I can tell you she didn't even look up. She's like, oh my God, my mom's in energy. I don't, I don't care what she has to say. And I said, Maya, this light bulb is an LED you know, it's an LED and it's a Bluetooth speaker and it plays music. And she lifted her head up and I said, actually, and it changes color too. <laughs> Let's plug it in. And she grabbed it out of my hand. 
That is changing the game on the conversation around energy. There is a new generation of young people who have, you know, very little appreciation maybe for their energy bill, who aren't thinking about the impact of reduction, you know, would they replace their home and their Bose speakers with light bulbs that play energy? That because they're LEDs, are you more likely to replace your old um, your old light bulbs with LEDs if they play music? You know, we have to be open to what new customers want, and new customers have new demands, and they think certain things are cool, and we have to speak their language as utilities. My daughter, who had moved into apartment, I have seven children, so I've referenced different daughters here. Uh, at various times on our on our show but one of my daughters moved into some cool apartments near her office they had just gone through and put smart thermostats in every apartment these could be connected to the internet and she really liked that you know from an an ease of lifestyle standpoint being able to change it on her phone being able to see the data and to me the thermostat is a great place to start with a smart device because we know for a fact that it yields fruit, right, Juliet, that folks are going to save money. And tell our audience why you save money with a smart uh, Nest thermostat or something like that. The thermostats today are cool and smart, right? I think cool and smart go together, right? They look cool. They're slick looking. They look nice in your living room. They're actually a lot more attractive looking than the old fashioned thermostats. But more importantly, they understand your behavior. These thermostats get used to the way that you uh, you set them. So they know that when I come home that I like to turn up my heat in the you know in the in the cold weather and i like to turn it down when i leave the house in the morning these thermostats are smart and i do it twice and they already know my my behavior pattern and they'll start doing it for me so the newer thermostats are set it and forget it types of devices and you talked about ease of use um, today, a lot of the smart home technologies have voice activation. So they plug in right to your Amazon Alexa. That same Alexa that's telling you the weather and playing your favorite song is also at your fingertips to say, hey, I'm hot. Lower my lower my temperature, uh, you know, Nest thermostat or Ecobee or Honeywell or whatever you have. So um, today's thermostats are 100 percent cool and smart. Yeah. So, Juliet, you mentioned coming back from Israel and feeling like you had seen the future. Um, a couple of years ago, my brother was with me. We've got an Ecobee that's got Alexa in it. And I ta- I asked Alexa to precondition my car. It was winter and the, the car started heating up and he said, wow, we're living in the future. So there you go. Oh, yeah. I like to reference the Jetsons all the time. Right. I go to the conferences and, you know, you see George Jetson like FaceTiming on his computer. You know, this is definitely the future of, of energy. And, and I happen to think that the future of energy can be cool and can be smart and that utilities need to understand what their customers want and speak to their customers and develop programs, integrated programs, right? Right now, they're very siloed, integrated programs with smart at heart. Juliet, where can folks find you on the internet? My website is smartmarkglobal.com, S-M-A-R-T-M-A-R-K-G-L-O-B-A-L.com, smartmarkglobal. And I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter. Casey? I'm at Casey Boyce on Twitter. Thanks, everyone. We appreciate you tuning in for this third segment with Juliet. Stick around. We'll be back with one more On the Road segment. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev hybrid.com Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Better Tomorrow Solar. Imagine a world powered by sunlight. Imagine your home powered by sunlight. Better Tomorrow Solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself. 
They've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption, its initial cost. In some cases, they can install your solar panels at no cost, then charge a predetermined, stable rate for the energy used. In other cases, Better Tomorrow Solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly payments are lower than the energy savings. Find out more at BetterTomorrowSolar.com. That's BetterTomorrowSolar.com and see how you make your world better. Hey, this is Tim Eccles back on the road with one of our favorite guests, Andrew Saunders, now the Central Services Director for athens Clark County, Georgia, home of the University of Georgia Go Dogs. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, in segments one, two, and three, Juliet Shavit with SmartMark talked about smart homes, and I couldn't help but think about what you guys are doing with your water meters in helping these homes be smarter and helping consumers save money. Tell our audience a little bit about these magical meters. So a couple years ago, we started to transition to all smart meters. Before that, we had people actually physically reading a meter in your yard. Uh, That's now all picked up wirelessly, and it's really given us some advantages on being able to educate our customers about their water use. What about a leak or an issue overnight uh, do y'all have these meters have some kind of system built in that triggers an alarm right yeah so the meters themselves have a small laser that that determines if water is moving through the system but we've paired it with a portal that customers can go to it's the water smart portal and they can sign up and if it detects a leak or they want to check their bill or find ways to save money Uh, It's completely free, and they can find out everything about their water use in their house, including leaks as small as a gallon an hour. And you guys are are, are buying a quarry. uh, You know, as we think about water, the scarcity of it during a drought, I've recently been talking with some folks about renewable natural gas and how chicken litter runs off into tributaries and streams and, and, and makes its way into Lake Lanier and the water treatment plants have to get some of the chemicals of that out and we were just talking about the value that there might be in manufacturing renewable natural gas from chicken litter and keeping it from getting into the tributaries. You guys are buying a quarry uh, and uh, and going to turn that into a reservoir. Yeah, so this is a resilience effort for us. In our last really major drought, we came uh, very close to not having the water supplies we needed. At its core, the quarry is a big hole in the ground where you can put water. We're actually pairing that with a water recycling system. So after water has been used through the community once, we treat it and then store it in the quarry so it's there when it's needed again. So a quarry, I guess maybe our audience, uh, maybe they've seen the outside of a quarry and dump trucks coming out of it, but describe to us what this quarry looks like, how deep it is, how do you access it, uh, the challenge of getting water pipes to it. So the quarry itself was actually the highest and lowest point in our community. Uh, it's several hundred feet deep. They've been mining granite out of it for several decades. To get the granite out, they have a very intricate system of driving trucks and equipment down ramps and so on. Uh, The nice thing is when a quarry is done with its life, it naturally fills with water because it is uh, into the groundwater. And so we actually like it because you get a lot of volume with very little surface area. So you minimize the amount of evaporation that you have, say, out of a lake or a pond or some other reservoir. But you can't store, quote, dirty water there right you clean it first before you put it in you're not having uh, sewage stored there that kind of thing it's not sewage but it's not drinking water either so it goes through our sewage treatment plants it's the same quality if not better than we would put back into the rivers and we pump it up to the quarry and then it's available for two things one we can draw it back into our, our drinking water system if we need to treat it to drinking water standards And the second is we're creating a water recycling system where entities can use it for irrigation, industrial processes, and even flushing toilets. Things where you don't have to have drinking water standards because it's uh, cheaper and uh, makes second use of that same, same gallon of water. You know, as you think about smart home technology, you know, we talked in 
in segments one, two, and three about smart thermostats. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the technology coming forward. As you think about smart home stuff, maybe that you want to experiment with yourself or that you're excited about, what comes to your mind? As a solar owner myself, I'm really interested in uh, the whole home metering where you can actually isolate uses of energy in and out of your house and where it goes. Uh, you can pair that with the kind of energy coming in from that solar. And there's a couple of different companies that do that. It tends to be three or $400, and then you can see everything on your phone. During the Integrated Resource Plan in 2016 uh, and, and 19, we had talked about this pay-as-you-save model, and we finally got it done in 19. And it's being rolled out right now with full COVID protocol where we're going to take 500 low-income rate payers, we're going to do eight, nine, ten thousand dollars worth of repair on their home, change their tariff, but guarantee them a 10% saving savings. I know that some Athens homes may qualify for this and be in the program. Uh, do you have hopes that we might could scale this program in 2022? Yes, I really do. I think it's an incredibly important tool for Athens. We struggle with a higher than normal poverty rate and a high proportion of, of renters. And pay as you save can help both of those uh, groups very effectively. Well, uh, EVs are continuing to be uh, you know, a topic of conversation here in Georgia. Uh, the power company is uh, spending some of the $24 million that we authorize for EV charging. I just saw a new array of chargers that they built in, on 475 in Macon down, and one in Milledgeville, Livonia. I mean, you've been an EV driver and you know the challenge of taking a, a low-size battery EV like a, a Leaf and making it around. How important do you feel like this charging network is that's being built and where do you see this going in the future? I think it's really important. I think it's important on two fronts. The first is those first-gen EVs, the Leaf and the Bolt and so on, are incredibly affordable now. Because the early EV buyers were first adopters, they're the people that like the newest phone and the fanciest everything, and so as new EVs have come out, they bought it. That's created this market. So what it really means is we can have affordable EVs for people that, that can't afford other types of cars or want to go that direction and have the most use they can get out of them uh, around the state. You can buy these used leaves for five, six, seven thousand dollars and they still have maybe 60, 60 miles of range. I mean, if I gave you a car that only had 60 miles of range, uh, you know, given your family situation, how would you use that car? If we had 60 miles of range, we could probably cover at least three quarters of our daily trips with that vehicle on a single charge from our home. I think people always want to uh, focus on the large road trip, going to see a relative or so on, but a majority of your driving is in town, going to the store, going to your work. And charging at home, and this is what I tell people all the time, Andrew, is that charging at home overnight actually provides better grid utilization and uh, is good for everyone. So even if a person, say, drives an F-250 King Ranch and they kind of laugh at EVs, these EVs being charged at home overnight, you know, fractionally lower everybody's rate rates and actually help people. They do. And even in today's cheap gas prices, the person that drives that EV can get the the same amount of miles they get out of a gallon of gas for about 10% of the price. It's, it's really affordable. I'm continuing to promote EVs because I really believe that, that, that the technology, autonomous cars, all of that's kind of tied together. So we have 48 cars with a plug this year, and we've got more and more German manufacturers that are bringing these plug-in hybrids to the market. I mean, as you kind of evaluate electric vehicles for the future, what do you what do you feel like that it's going to look like and will the average person accept them more than they are now? 
I think they're going to be very commonplace and well under a decade. As a fleet manager myself for Athens, I'm chomping at the bit to get an EV pickup truck because so much of our work is in pickup trucks. Uh, and I think it's going to be, eventually we're going to see that market flip where there's going to be a buyer's preference for electric vehicles because they're cheaper, better quality, and easier to maintain. I want to wrap up this segment just kind of transitioning over to biomass for a minute because our commission just recently modified the biomass RFP procurement that we had uh, approved, essentially taking some unused solar megawatts that we found that weren't eligible to be rolled over and putting them into the biomass program and then removing the cap where a single biomass developer could use 60 megawatts. And the reason that we did this is we were getting feedback from the industry that it was going to take a larger boiler in order to make it effective. And I, I, I mean, you being a forestry guy early on, just here in our last minute, how important is it to get that slash that's turning into methane out in fields and have a value proposition to chip it and truck it somewhere and really treat it properly? So when we can use that forestry waste, the branches and tops for energy, it is a huge win for landowners, it is a huge win for the environment, and it's a big win for Georgia customers. What I really want people to know is when you're using those waste products, they're going to, to degrade and become CO2 no matter what. And so by burning them, we can actually uh, improve the overall environment. It's always good to catch up with you uh, on the road segment here with Andrew Saunders of Athens, Clark County. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's is Commissioner Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters. Have a great day, everyone. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code Matters for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Come.